the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 266. I am Paul Spain. And I'm Nate Dunn. Hey, Nate. Good to have you back. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Now, cybersecurity seems to be the uh, the topic of the moment. There's been a, a whole lot sort of land in the last uh, few days in relation to um, cybersecurity type things. I, I think the issue that people think or, or probably more likely don't think about with cybersecurity is they think, I'll have firewalls set up and I'll have the latest antivirus and all that sort of thing, which, you know, that stuff does help. But a lot of the the vulnerabilities actually come from the user and users themselves um, clicking on things. Uh, you know, you get an email from someone that says, hey, look, um, click on this for a laugh and they double click and then the virus installs or they go to a, a site, like a phishing site and think, oh, I need to put in my Google credentials, which is what I've seen type in your Google credentials to get access to a document, which then takes your you know, details and then logs in and does all sorts of nefarious things. So I think a lot of education needs to be done with users around keeping themselves safe. And that whole, that old thing of, you know, if it's, if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't, is, you know, isn't, there couldn't be a more um, true place for that to, to apply than on the internet. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, interesting you should mention that because that's one of the points that within the cybersecurity training that uh, that Gorilla will be launching publicly this year, we've offered it to our clients for the for the last year or so um, to our contracted clients. Um, that's that's one of the discussion points that we actually uh, have. Of course, people often don't you know get that point. If it's too good to be true, then it probably is. Um, and you know, there's lots of things we've seen lately. I know uh, leading up to Christmas. It was common to see those ads for um, the cut price uh, iPhones, you know, on uh, on Facebook. I think they were coming through. It was just, you know, a, a ridiculous uh, scam. I'm I'm sure, uh, but you know, lots of people start clicking through on these ads and and, and bits and pieces and uh, get get sucked in. And as you say, they get an email that sort of looks a little bit. They sort of maybe relate to the, oh yeah, that could be for us, and they click through. And then they need to enter some Google credentials to get to supposedly get access to uh, to the document, and they enter them, and that's when they uh, when they click, and when suddenly everyone in their mailing list is getting uh, sent similar attack that just hit them. So yeah, we've definitely seen a bit of that, and yeah, huge huge amount of the issue, the percentage of the issues now are related to um, users and a and a lack of training. So um, that that's a service that we'll and be I offering think also in the country. Just sometimes just doing really dumb things. Like I've just found it now on, on Twitter. One of my favorite Twitter accounts to follow is a, a Twitter account needed debit card. And what needed debit card is, is it's a bot and, and they've set it up so it searches for the phrase debit card. Yeah. And yep. I'm scrolling through it right now and there's gotta be fifty or sixty people who've posted up photos of their Visa debit card going, Oh look how cool my new debit card is and inevitably, someone replies going, oh, what are the three numbers on the back? And the person goes, oh, they're one, two, three. Why do you need those? And, and then you read a tweet five minutes later going, oh, the bank's just rang me and someone's trying to you know, take all the money out of my account. So I think it's also just users not thinking. Like, don't put photos of your credit card. Don't transmit them in an email. Just think, you know, don't be in such a rush. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's quite funny, I think, but also a bit sad that people do that. Yes, um, well, there's there's a segment to the community, and hopefully, uh, you know, not so many of them are listeners to this podcast. But you know, just a segment of technology users that don't think through those sorts of consequences, and that there always will be. And that's, 
you know, why we found that educating people around cyber security is, is so important. And it's a continual thing because what you teach them last month will be different to what you teach them this month, the next month, because there's always new little exploits mm. going on and, and, and so on. So um, I think off the side of that too, and this is getting a little bit outside of scope of where we are, but I remember on the news a couple of weeks back, it was also talking about how there's the, the huge increase of those um, online attacks where people, you know, they, they meet someone overseas who sounds really lovely and says they've either got big medical bills or they want to fly over and they need, you know, you to send over money and, I think, was it the fire service got done recently or there was a Maori Trust as well where a couple of quite high up people in that ended up sending money overseas. And I know the methods of, of, of tracking those people to get the money were quite different. One was a, a, a false email sent from a supposed CEO that they, the financial controller didn't check and the other one was through Facebook. But, you know, we, we are living in this industry where people are trying to, or sorry, we're living in this age where people are trying to make a quick buck. And if you're not intelligent, you're not thinking through the decisions that you're making online, unfortunately that does make you um, an easy target. And um, I remember reading a LinkedIn post about um, the, these sort of things. And, and my comment and my reply to that was find someone who is tech savvy. If you're not really tech savvy, find someone you trust. And if there's something that pops up that you are a little bit unsure about, or you don't know about, don't do anything, give them a ring and say, Hey, look, this is what's happened. You know, what do you think? And if they think it's a bad idea, don't do it. Obviously, don't do this after you've already double clicked on the attachment or 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 FedEx, uh, not FedEx, Western Union, the the money overseas. <laughs> do it beforehand. You know, find someone who's trusted that you can you know depend on and, and try and keep yourself safe online. I guess that one of the one of the challenges is a, a percentage of these emails will hit people at a particular time, or they'll come through a particular ch- channel that raises their level of trust. So, mm. for instance, an email comes through from somebody that you know regarding something that you're expecting from that person. And so, oh, yes, um, that's Nate. He was going to send me some notes for the podcast. And you read it and it sort of maybe sounds as though it lines up. I mean, usually they're using more generic things like that. It's, oh, Nate, yeah, I did some business with Nate and, oh, here's Nate's invoice. Um, those, you know, those sorts of things. And it sort of lines up. But if you look a little bit closer, hold on, that's not Nate's real email address or... Yeah. Oh, why is it asking me for my uh, Google credentials or my Microsoft credentials after I've clicked on it? Yeah, I think another the the other scary attack that I'm seeing more and more often is that sort of I don't know what the technical name I'm going to call it a Facebook clone, which is where you know say you and I are friends on Facebook, and then all of a sudden I'll get a friend request from a second Paul Spain, and the second one will say oh I've lost my login details for the first, please friend me on this one. And all they've done is they've just gone to your Facebook page, searched for publicly accessible photos, and then just recreated your profile. With I assume the they'll befriend me and then say, "Hey, look, you know, I'm having health problems at the moment. Can you send me some money?" And I think it's coming from you. I, I think that's you know what you're talking about being for me. I think in that realm, that that's quite a scary, a scary one because it can be quite hard to just differentiate. Hey, is this is this legitimate or is, is someone trying to scam me here? Yeah, and I mean, there's there's certainly a level of responsibility on uh, on Facebook, for instance, in that in that sort of case, uh, where they maybe should be comparing. You know, look, we've got two names that are very similar and two photos. What what's the issue? Is this one person who's created two accounts, uh, or is this um, you know something a lot more uh, untoward? And so mm, yeah. Mm. Certainly, something that they can uh, they can help with. I would have, would have thought so. Um, so yeah, on that on that cybersecurity front, lots of things as we say. 
a lot of it comes down to education and certainly the the first discussion does and so uh uh, Gizmodo have released the 25 most popular passwords of uh, of the year, um, and we're seeing uh, a lot of common uh, common common passwords there, Nate. Yes, uh, the the top five are pretty. You could guess them. One, two, three, four, five takes a number one uh, password would be number two. One, two, three, four, five is number three. One to eight is number four, and then QWERTY, which is incredibly lazy. It's just everything you could type with your left hand. Um, I know this from personal experience that users can get very lazy with passwords. Um, we look after a, um, a few uh, large medical um, associations. And at one of the associations uh, last year or the year before, I presented at their conference about the, the, the software platform that we've created for them and, and, and a whole lot of other facts. And, and one of the things we did, which was a bit of fun, is we decrypted all their um, their passwords and then just threw up some stats about the most common passwords and sort of the zany ones. And um, we got patterns such as Manchester and Liverpool for your um, professionals that had come in from overseas. Uh, you could pick out the, the more younger members of the profession because of the some of the artists that they'd use and, and that sort of thing. Um, mobile numbers was a strange one. We, we'd pick that that people would use their mobile number as their password, which I didn't think was terribly secure. But, yeah, I think people see the, especially your non-technical users, see passwords as, as an inconvenience. So let's just put something easy, not realising that, hey, if someone can guess that, something as basic as your mobile number, mm. um, they can get in and, and, and cause a bit of destruction. Um, so, yeah, this, this this article perfectly resonates with me because... Yeah, you would, would have seen a lot of those common passwords, the welcomes, the ABC123. Um, that was one that um, uh, Telecom used to used to give out as a, uh, I think a default sort of um, yeah. internet password. But then things even, like that. even if you cast your mind back to maybe um, say ten years ago when when wireless was really starting to kick off, and you're getting you know routers that were being shipped with you know no security on, so people were just plugging them in and they'd just work. And so much better now where the routers actually not only do they they ship with wireless security turned on but the unique in the fact that they use the the mac address of the router so there's no way for you to have one god password and then get into everyone's access points everywhere so it's still yeah. fairly common though once you are into someone's uh wireless that it's still set to def- you know correct default the, passwords and so on and you can you know you can admin you can, admin you can, yeah t- t- take over um as um, as I recall in a in a particular uh, situation uh, some time back that you might remember as well, but we won't go into that. I've uh, actually had two instances of two. I'm just thinking now. I've had two instances of two cafes, which I don't know if this is what you're talking about. Two cafes, one in Cambridge and one in um, Manukau City in South Auckland, where I've logged in and um, logged into their route and had a bit of a look around, and then you can get there username and password and then you can you know log into webmail and then get, get into all sorts of things and, and both times I've, I've said to the owners hey look I, I can't fix this for you because I'm in a, a bit of a rush and this isn't my area of expertise but you really need to talk to your um, computer hardware provider whoever installed this and tell them that the wireless is unsecure and you need to change password at bare minimum because I'm sure that even though I've, I've been quite good and, and told you there's probably plenty of other people who um, would be more than happy to log in and and cause all sorts of damage. So, mm. again, mm. trusted advisor. Find someone who you can trust to bounce these sort of things off. Yep, yep. And, I mean, there, there's always room to improve these things, It's but there is a level of keeping in balance. I, I mean, I'm imagining now, Nate, you were talking about being able to 
you know, reverse uh, people's passwords and get them. Probably, probably these days you've got that, that set up so you actually can't reverse engineer them. That sort of become a, a bit more of the, um, you know, frowned upon to be able to, um, you know, recover people's passwords and so on, especially after all the hacking situations where someone's got hacked exactly. and they've released all these passwords. So uh, um, you, so that, what happens now in, in software, which is the, the, the stock standard um, config, is that it's what's called a one-way hash, which is where your password's taken, let's say it's ABC123, it's then thrown through. Let's say a, it's not, but uh, well, let's just say it is. Well, <laughs> that's a terrible password. I wonder if I can like, you suggest it. Oh, you're bringing tears to my eyes. Um, so you th- that gets encrypted in, in such a way so it comes out as a whole string of characters, and then what happens is when you log in, the whatever you type in, the encryptor takes that and then converts it to this sort of garbled text, and then it, it it looks and says, has the garbled text you've typed in matched the garbled text we've got stored, and then. It's just a matter of saying, well, if if they match, it's obviously whatever your password okay. was, yeah. is there, and then the login, yeah. away you go. Yeah, take the box, yeah. And that means that if someone does steal your whole database of, of subscribers, all they've got is email addresses and, and, and rubbish. So that, And there's actually there's no way with those one-way hash, which is the most common way of storing passwords, there is no way to, to reverse them back to what they are. So an incredibly secure way of doing it and pretty much the industry standard of storing passwords in the sort of software realm, so... That's good. That's good. Um, we're glad you're doing that. So yeah, so there's lots of these passwords online, but you know, I think it, it just highlights that that need uh, for us to be cautious around passwords. So you know, usual reminders don't because of these sorts of hackings um, and because some people don't follow the standards, never use the same password in more than one location. And I know there's lots of challenges around around that, but there are always techniques to uh, to use so that you can uh, keep your passwords unique. Uh, and uh, yeah, for yourself and and um, those who you might help out with uh, with technology, whether it's you know personally or, or within your organisation, uh, you know, really, really, really important to uh, um, not to be using these standard sort of dictionary words and your password and a or a password one two three, all those sorts of things, or. Uh, uh, the very common one of putting, say, a, a year on the end of the password or a month and a year, um, and even just using that same password on an ongoing basis. There was, uh, I think it was a case in the US where someone left an organisation, uh, IT or somebody within the organisation knew what their password was, and they was kind of curious about what they were up to at the new business that they had moved to, and uh, tried logging in to the new business with their old password. Ah, sure enough, they were using the uh, the same password in the new company and um, therefore sort of uh, left all the intellectual property uh, accessible. That's terrible. With the, with the password thing too, I think I also want to add is that if the provider where you're going supports a thing called two-factor, 2FA, which is what it's short for, do use it, switch it on. What two-factor is is... Um, the provider will send you a text message or you'll have an app on your phone. So every time you log in, even if you do get the password correct, you have to type in something off a device that you have. And the likelihood of someone breaking into your account with you having that device is very low because they're going to have to not only know your email address and your password, but they're also going to have to have access to your phone as well. So um, what we do and what all our guys do in the office is that any service that supports two-factor, regardless if it's text or app or whatever it is, switch it on and use it because it just reduces your your ability to get hacked you know significantly yeah it's good advice it's inconvenient but at the end of the day uh provides a um you know much increased uh, level of protection 
All right. Uh, so jumping on to uh, onto other other topics in the cybersecurity space. So uh, um, an article out today uh, in Computer World locally, um, and this is um, Cisco is is talking to uh, small to medium businesses uh, here in New Zealand, and I guess just remind reminding them that uh, you know as as smaller organisations, uh, you know sometimes there's there's that sort of assumption. Uh, that uh, you know they're not going to be a hacking target, but um, Cisco are saying, well, um, you know, small to medium businesses are, are often keeping their heads in the sand, and really any computer uh, is a is a target now. Um, and if for nothing else, um, for the computer um, uh, power, so that they can then go on and and attack other computers online, um, or to hold uh, data for uh, for ransom, for instance. So. Yeah, it doesn't matter what size of organisation you're involved in, um, getting the security right is uh, is important, and I think it's becoming uh, more and more so with all of the recent uh, issues that we've that we've seen. Would it be safe to say that if you've got a computer or a network or anything that's on the internet, assume that you're going to be a target? Yeah, abs- absolutely, and um, of course, you know, pretty much everything is online now. That's that's the bit that. Uh, um, you know, exposes us to start with, and you know, every uh, system has its vulnerabilities. Uh, in fact, um, uh, you are writing in the uh, the New Zealand Herald today. Uh, he had an article uh, there around uh, security, and he's h- highlighted um, uh, the Royal Melbourne Hospital, who have uh, who have recently uh, s- suffered. Um, uh, virus infection, and yeah, reading reading that story in their case, part of uh, part of their risk was that they were running uh, old operating system Windows XP, um, and yeah, they they got caught in um, an information uh, stealer um, situation, and yeah, doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't look particularly good. So um, yeah, it's it's left uh, Melbourne Health in a in a very very precarious uh, situation, and yeah, we've seen these sorts of things happen in New Zealand uh, within the health arena uh, too. But really, you know, any organisation or, or individual uh, can be hit by uh, very similar uh, types of uh, types of issues. And of course, the big ones that uh, I mean, Nate, you mentioned the one with the uh, uh, the the trust that was out in the media over uh, over Christmas that. Uh, the uh, I think it was probably the CFO received an email appeared to be from the CEO uh, requesting urgent transfer of I think around a hundred thousand dollars in uh, in funds, and in that uh, in that particular instance um, the CFO fell for it and uh, you know I guess there was probably a note saying look we'll work out the paperwork later this is very urgent and very important, and uh, you know the CFO didn't go through and uh, and query it. Um, I've seen. Um, many of many many situations similar uh, over the last year. In most cases, they didn't fall for it. Um, sometimes, for reasons that um, you know, you you think when you look at actually these emails, you think how could anyone fall for them when you actually read them through carefully, uh, whether it's an aspect of the English or whether they've got the names a little bit wrong or what have you. Um, but there are, there are plenty of people that have taken that email and, and replied back, and you know. 
asked uh, you know questions like oh you know can you give me a little bit more detail or or uh, you know one case we heard about the CFO wandering into the CEO's office to uh, uh, find out what it was uh, what was about so um, you know these these things although they're not perfect they're uh, you know often people sort of skim read and uh, uh, get get duped in some way right exactly. Mm. Um, so a few other uh, bits and pieces going on. Um, one we'll hear, we might hear a little bit more about in February. We've got the Asia-Pacific Chief Technology Officer from uh, FireEye, which is one of the big cybersecurity firms globally that's, uh, that's, that's done very well recently. They've recently bought the cybersecurity intelligence firm iSight, uh, intelligence firm iSight, for uh, 200 million US dollars. So we'll, we'll get some interesting sort of a bit more of a drill down into what's happening uh, cyber security wise from FireEye. Uh, I think that's probably coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, two or three weeks time. And also we've heard about Indian banks being uh, hit, Nate. This is, I guess, just you know continuation of the, the same theme, but uh, the impact on some of these organisations is, uh, is much bigger than the, the, the typical scenario, right? Um, so we, we've heard... Um, was it three Indian banks and a pharmaceutical company that have had uh, most of their computers being impacted with cryptographic, uh, you know, rent, ransomware that basically sort of electronically shreds their document and then asks a big ransom to uh, unencrypt the um, the data. And this comes off the back of a situation earlier on the year where uh, Middle Eastern hackers or middle yeah hackers from the Middle East breached two Indian firms and uh, stole data and apparently. Uh, managed to blackmail them for uh, five million US dollars each, in order to recover their data, and they were uh, threatening to release private files to the government, which was going to get these particular firms in uh, in trouble. Apparently, yeah, it's a it's a very clever that the whole crypto where, you know, it's a, v- a very clever attack. It's, I the analogy for me is someone walks into your office and goes to where your server room is or your storeroom is and puts a big padlock on the door and stands in and says, well, I can't let you back in until you pay me a whole lot of money. Uh, and you really are, unless you've got a, a really good backup scheme and, and it's well test. You know, it's not just as run, but you actually test it regularly to make sure that data is backing up properly and you can restore it. So your whole disaster recovery plan. There's really no other way around it once you've been infected. Obviously, training your users to look out for those signs where um, your suspicious emails coming through or attachments. But yeah, it is it is a very clever attack because as a business, if if you ha- haven't got access to any of your data, your your contact records, your your CRM, your financial details, you really are just dead in the water. No longer and a business, are you? No, yeah. you're not. No, you're not. And and the big difference here from you know viruses and malware that we saw in the past, where you know they might have been done for a bit of fun, or they might have been done so they could take over your machine and you know start controlling a sort of a a, a bot type network, you know, have that that massive uh, control is you know with these there's you know there's very much an instant or near instant sort of payback for those that that infect computers because there will always be a portion of people uh, that really need that data back and don't have any other option other than paying uh, paying you know some fairly large uh, ransoms and yeah when when you've got those much bigger financial incentives it's really going to encourage more of this activity so I don't think it's going to stop any time soon. I would imagine this year it's going to get much, much worse. Yeah. Now, other uh, other topics. Now, Nate, you brought with you uh, something which uh, gave me a bit of a flashback to 20, uh, 20 years ago. 
Nothing, uh, nothing drug induced, mind you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm talking about a flashback to this is Net Guide issue zero zero from 1996. Now you, you were telling me this was found whilst cleaning was being done. Uh, yeah, over, so over the- I, I was out at uh, Mum and Dad's place uh, yesterday actually, and uh, they've been doing a big clean up. Mum passes me a box and says, "Hey, look, I found all these." all your old net guides and I remembered that I had the very first edition so I dove through the whole box pulled it out and uh, you and I have been having a bit of a laugh as we look through and see what was uh, new and breaking 20 years ago now yeah so there's an article about Storm in a Java Cup talking about Sun's uh, Java we've got Microsoft who are uh, introducing a new product called Microsoft Front Page the easy and fast way to create and manage your website um, the the front sort of the lead, the lead story, interestingly, is titled "Fighting the Flames: Aggression on the Internet," which is interesting. We talk as sort of cyber security, and uh, I guess yeah, back then they were referring to cyberspace. I like one of the articles they've got in the back where the uh, the guy talks about how Netscape version 3.1 at that particular stage and he says oh it's a very big download it's three and a half meg 3.5 megabytes three and a half meg. you're like really yeah and, and then that- there's there's an advertisement in the middle for um for a zip drive which the amiga zip drives which my uh, dad had and that was his backup thing and they were sort of like a you know more floppy drive not your big floppies but your, your smaller ones the three and a half the three yeah and they're similar to the three and a half inch uh, floppy disk but they're a yeah. bit, bit wider a bit thicker and they, yeah. they stored 100 meg and um, I remember we had a, a zip, an internal zip drive, which was even more fancy because at that stage they were all external. And um, yeah, there's an advertisement in that guide for uh, for one of those. And of course, you can get uh, again a couple of thousand times that now on a little uh, you know micro micro SD that's uh, you know tiny as your uh, fingernail uh, fingernail sort of thing. And then there was the uh, reference to recommended internet speed. They were suggesting look, the minimum you should get is a 14.4 uh, kilobits per second modem and. Uh, you know, ideally a, a 28.8. Um, of course, that 14.4 kilobits compared to the sort of internet that we're starting to get these days, and I think, you know, your office has just gone to the same as what we've got here, Nate, at uh, 200 megabits. That's uh, that's more than 10,000 times the uh, <laughs> performance that we were getting back then. So um, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. And, yeah, I think if you had asked somebody then what could you possibly do with 10,000 times the internet, uh, speed, I think you know people would have said you're a little bit nuts to think that you would ever need that sort of speed. I, w- I would think would have been a pretty uh, common scenario. And then then comes the price because we've got ads uh, in NetGuide for the likes of CompuServe, uh, Extra, and others. And the common price there seemed to be four dollars ninety five an hour to access the internet. Um, so. Uh, yeah, times have changed a little bit. We're not paying by the hour uh, anymore, which is rather nice. Although there was an ad from one company that had seemed to have a, a connect fee of just $40 per month. So, yeah, some interesting bits and pieces back then. And everything's a little bit better. Well, a little bit better now. <laughs> a little bit quicker. The higher data caps. Yep, things are, things, are, things are on the improve slowly, slowly. Now... What have, we, what have we got going on? Microsoft, just in the process of launching their Surface Book here uh, in New Zealand, arrives this, uh, this week, I believe. So um, for those that are, that are maybe fans of Microsoft's uh, you know, Surface Pro products but would like something that's a bit more laptop-like, then uh, 
definitely a uh, a product worth having a look at. Quite a lot heavier, of course, than the uh, the Surface Pro Four. Uh, Surface Pro Four was sort of my um, go to. Uh, main product that I used sort of for working on over the uh, the summer break just so it was so light and easy to carry around with me so it was easy to sort of pack in my luggage as I was in various parts of the country really great device although some we seem to have some shortcomings on Microsoft Surface products is there's some driver issues with Windows 10 some firmware issues I know Nate you've uh, you've had a bit of Surface uh, use within uh, within your business you may not have uh, have seen that, but we've been getting varying bits of feedback, and certainly I've seen it with, um, you know, crashes within uh, on the surface. So um, it seems like Microsoft has still got a little bit of work to do before they come up to the same sort of maturity level as the other uh, other hardware vendors. But some some very nice products in terms of the the design and the the style and the flexibility of of what they're offering. Will you be lining up for a Surface Book, Nate? Probably the Surface Book. I've used my business partner's got the Surface Pro three. No, three. He doesn't have the four. We're looking at upgrading him to the four. But for me, using that, especially doing a bit of travel, and I am using my laptop more and more. Um, the screen is just a little bit too small, and it's a lot easier to have. I think a bit of a bigger screen, especially when I'm coding. If I've got to fix something, it's I, I'm. I know there is a balance between if you want quite lightweight and small. You're gonna have a, you're gonna to have to put up with a smaller screen, and, and the vice versa. If you want a much bigger screen, you're gonna have heavier weight, and it's not gonna be as as portable. Um, yeah. So for me, it's trying to find that that balance between portability and also usability. Because if I'm sitting hot desking at say a client's place in Wellington, I don't want to be um, really squinting to try and see the screen, or, or constantly having to scroll left left and right to to actually get any work done. So yeah, I, I, for me, the the Surface um, book looks definitely um, a lot more appealing to for me, for my use case, than the, the Surface Pro 4. So. Now, Microsoft, um, HP have shown off their uh, their new HP uh, Envy. Um, well, it was a little while ago that they, they, they showed it off, but we've, uh, we've finally got one sort of kicking around here, have a little bit of a play with. We haven't got too far into it just yet, but Nate, looks like a nice piece of, uh, nice piece of hardware, of course, using the, the newest generation sort of Skylake uh, chip from Intel. Now, this is a consumer-oriented device. It's certainly at the, um, the higher end, the, the NV, 13.3-inch display. Now, it's got a uh, fingerprint reader in it, which you know, was traditionally the sort of thing that we would see for you know, logging into a laptop in a, uh, in a commercial business sort of grade device rather than something that uh, falls into that consumer area. But now that Microsoft have built sort of Windows Hello in as their way of uh, accessing Windows, it seems like these features are moving down into the consumer product. So you can use this to just to do a fingerprint swipe uh, to log in, much like you've got the uh, Windows Hello camera built into the um, the Surface products. Nate, is this something you're you're keen on? Is uh, biometrics as a way to log in, so you don't have to remember all your secret codes, or so it can, in some cases, be uh, saving you a little bit of time? Yeah, if you'd spoken to me probably two weeks ago, I would have told you it was a waste of time. Um, in those two weeks, I've since bought the Nexus, which has the fingerprint scanner on the back, very similar to LG's you know smart little scrolly that sits under. Oh, the, the Nex the Huawei Nexus six P. That's the one I've got, um, and I've been using it. Uh, religiously and to the, f- the fact where you just um, without even thinking you stick your finger on it's it it's very unlocks. good isn't it it works good. fantastically mm-hmm. so yeah no definitely into biometric anything that saves you have from having to type in your ABC123 password um, multiple times is uh, 
it's going to be a winner by me so good good um now uh, microsoft are uh, continuing this push they've been doing for a little while which is really to get as many of their pieces of uh, Microsoft's world onto the competition's devices. So, you know, obviously Microsoft have been uh, been having a little bit of a challenge at winning market share at getting people onto their mobile phone platform. Well, on on that front, actually, they've been telling us for a little while that um, those on certain Windows 8.1 uh, phones are going to get their Windows 10 uh, mobile upgrade, but. That seems to have sort of been pushed out, and uh, this stage seems unlikely to happen before uh, late February. So uh, really the only way to get a Windows 10 on a mobile device is to get one of their newest devices. And here in New Zealand, that's uh, primarily the uh, Lumia 950 or 950XL, which have actually been in short supply. But we had a little bit of a play with the uh, Lumia 950 before, didn't we, Nate? We were just having a look at how the Continuum concept was, was coming along. When I looked at this before Christmas... There weren't a lot of Continuum apps, and for those wondering what Continuum is all about, it's this concept of being able to have apps on your uh, Windows phone that can basically go up onto a um, another screen, a second screen, and that can you know basically run like a a um, uh, it sort of puts a mini PC onto onto that screen. So you know, your smartphone has to have what they call Continuum apps to be able to uh, do that. And initially there were very, very few, but we've started to see a few more, including the remote desktop app now coming through with Continuum uh, capabilities. So we haven't had, a, haven't had a chance to play with that yet, but those apps are, are coming through that will, will work well. And there's also been an update to that Lumia uh, 950. Still a few people out there uh, complaining that Windows 10 isn't, isn't so smooth just yet and maybe that's why they're holding back launching that upgrade on their existing phones for Microsoft Uh, but what they are doing is they're pushing more and more bits of other Microsoft software and even now uh, from the phone onto other operating systems so what we hear coming to the iPhone coming to iOS uh, is Microsoft's WordFlow keyboard Uh, now this is the uh, the keyboard that's built into uh, Windows 10 and it's also been available in Windows 8 8.1 and that allows you to sort of slide your finger across the keyboard rather than uh, tapping away. Nate, have you used any of those sort of apps like Swipe and so on that um, let you slide your finger across the keyboard without sort of you know lifting it up and up and down? Yeah, I did use. I've um, actually paid for Swipe on Android, and funnily enough, I don't use the the Swipe part of Swipe, but I use the the normal tabity tap version of Swipe mainly because its um, ability to finish sentences and guess what I'm going to say is just unparalleled. You're quite so. good at guessing what's ahead, right? And um, and even when you type, you, word flow is similar in those regards. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've had it too when I've I've been swapping phones and I don't have it, and I don't realise how often I'll spell a word wrong or I'll tap the wrong key and it automatically knows oh, I meant the word receipt instead of however I've spelt it, and then it'll complete it off and then it also gives you stats on on how often it's helped you and some crazy stats about how often it does it you know thousands and thousands of times so you know i am a massive fan of swipe and i think this unlocking with microsoft is because apple up until quite recently correct me when i go wrong you couldn't replace the keyboard that's unlike right. android android you could pick whatever keyboard you want whereas apple you were stuck with the the factory stand and that's only just recently changed hence why all these Android and, and Microsoft um, that have that had the ability to be able to do this are now jumping across to the, uh, the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, but of course, you know, Microsoft have got the Office, and they're, they're just rolling out as many. It seems like you know anything they can think of that maybe once 
might have started as exclusive on the Windows mobile platform and so on, Windows Phone. They're trying to get all those things out across Android and and iOS so that they're they're really everywhere. And you know they want everybody to be using Outlook for their email and and using Microsoft Office, you know, rather than uh, yeah, Google's apps and so on. And they, I've got to say, they you know they're generally doing a pretty good job with uh, with most of those those products that they're pushing out. Uh, now, one last thing um, we've discussed we discussed this I think uh, probably last week, but Netflix basically saying they were going to start blocking access to their US service from outside the US, and you know similar things with those wanting to access other um, Netflix regions. Well, so for instance, if you're in New Zealand and you want to access the Netflix UK catalog or the Netflix US catalog, you're only you're only supposed to do that if you're actually physically in those locations, right? Correct. Correct. And so, of course, we run proxy servers and uh, or, yeah, pro- proxy services and uh, and VPNs to get around that. Uh, but it is it just seems to be slowly that Netflix following on with their promise to start blocking people, and yeah, with some users are getting hit with that with uh, with some some services. So it's going to be curious just to see how this progresses and how uh, how harsh they are. Um, but I've already read uh, one thing. You know, highlighting some of the techniques that, that they might use to check your location. Uh, a sneaky one that was discussed actually on on Geek Zone that highlighted basically well for for technical users um, a a way in which uh, Netflix might uh, might check your location uh, versus your Netflix location and uh, yeah, quite a smart way of doing it via uh, via. Uh, Google DNS, but of course there are ways around that. So it's going to be a bit of cat and mouse game, I guess, Nate. Yeah, I think it is. Um, they're in a bit of a Netflix is in a bit of a tough position because you know the people who are using proxy services are paying customers, so it does add to their bottom line. And by doing this, uh, inevitably some people are going to cancel, so that's you're going to have subscribers drop off. And I think also the the, the providers of the proxy services like you know Tally, Unblock US, uh, Getflix out of Australia. Um, if their services no longer work, their business model's gone overnight. So um, I think the proxy services have everything to lose in this instance. Whether Netflix will be successful in, in blocking or not, I, I don't know. As Netflix said in their um, their press release when they're talking about tightening up security, their sort of vision for the future is that they can have content which they can purchase from the content providers and, and give it to everyone globally so they don't have to worry about these different content regions. So... Um, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting space to watch in the next few months when all this um, sort of blocking stuff kicks in. Not to say that there wasn't there already. Um, I've tried multiple times to try and get Amazon Prime going. I've never been able to get that going. Um, HBO, they locked it down um, not recently, but when they first launched, you had to have a, a satellite provider in the US and actually have credentials, so then they were guaranteed you were in the US. So these things sort of have have been around, but... This will be the first time that a behemoth such as Netflix has has implemented it. So, yeah, watch the space. I think. Yeah, I um, we did we did an unscientific survey. Um, I did a tweet this afternoon. We had um, Diana Vesic from uh, Three News uh, in the Gorilla Office uh, this afternoon to discuss around uh, Netflix blocking and what that meant and, and how it works and so on. And uh, so after that, I did a little bit of a tweet and one of these uh, these mini uh, um, surveys that you can uh, uh, you can do. 
And uh, so far, the votes are in. Uh, we've got 21% of people that have uh, responded to the survey are saying their Netflix is broken already. Uh, so 79% say no, their Netflix is still going. So this may be a, a bit of a sign of things to come that, uh, you know, I guess if we'd asked the same uh, few days ago, it would have been a very, very small percentage, if any, that were being, uh, they were having trouble with uh, accessing uh, international Netflix services. Now, that's pretty unscientific. It's a, it's a, a small pool of votes so far. But it'll be curious just to see where, where we are in, say, a month's time and, you know, how many people are being impacted by this because... Yeah, realistically, it's frustrating just having uh, access to, say, the New Zealand catalogue from Netflix, which is is pretty poor. And I think if Netflix push this too hard, they will. It's not just the sort of short term revenue they'll lose, but it's um, you know it's a sort of a longer term impact to people that leave Netflix and maybe never come back again, um, and how much room it leaves for some of the other services. And you know, I guess as we sort of said early on on the podcast, you know. We've do encourage people to access the other services. You know, here we, we we've got a few other options, and uh, you know, I think there's some there's some benefit in supporting uh, what's local, and particularly in cases where they have got a better catalogue, then uh, you know, definitely jump on board and uh, and try those things out as well. So, I, I don't, think it, don't forget about supporting Kiwi. Exactly. I think it is going to be a, a cat and mouse game forever. You you are. If the targeting is successful, they're going to wipe out the vast majority of accounts, but you are going to have a small select group of, of, of networking gurus who are, are going to set up things like a, a VPS in the US and then just route their traffic through that and their friends and family and then work out ways to create American credit cards if that drops in and, and all sorts of stuff. So I think it's going to, if they are successful, it's going to stop most, but there's, there's going to be no way they're going to be able to stop everyone. It's just, in my mind, technically unfeasible. Yep. Oh well, to watch the space. Oh, just while we've been uh, chatting, it's gone up uh, by one one percent. The the number of people, the percentage of people that are having their Netflix or found their Netflix to be broken. So yeah, maybe that's just going to continue uh, getting worse for people over the next little while. Hey, well, um, well, that's us for this week on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Nate, thank you for coming in. That's right. Now, where do people track you and your company 3Bit down online? Uh, so you can just find me. Uh, I'm just at Nate on Twitter. Uh, my blog on Geekzone, or you can find us through our company site, which is 3bit3bit.com. Now, we didn't. We forgot to mention at the beginning, what is 3Bit all about? I was actually thinking that as soon as we got on, but I thought, no, let's just run with it. We're a... Um, we're a custom software house, so we've got an uh, office here in Newmarket in Auckland. We've also got a subsidiary that operates out of St. Leonard's in Sydney. And, yeah, we just write custom software for all sorts of weird and wacky things. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, people can track me down at Paul Spain on Twitter. Uh, my company is guerrillatechnology.com. Uh, if you're with an organisation that is interested in cyber security training, since that's something that we've we've mentioned today, then definitely get in touch. Uh, we are offering that around the, the country, and we have that as an ongoing uh, as an ongoing service. As I say, uh, previously was was just available to Gorilla's contracted customers, but uh, for 2016, we're we're making that available to uh, to any organisation that realises they're at they're at risk and needs a little bit of little bit of help with keeping their staff educated and minimising some of those cyber security risks. So uh, feel free to get in touch via the uh, contact form at uh, at our website, and uh, very soon um, we'll have uh, yeah, we'll have a bunch of information online around that uh, cyber security training. 
Um, but that's us for this week. So uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, tuning in again. We do appreciate it if you are a uh, iTunes user or an iPhone user to give us a rating in uh, either the um, the podcast app on the iPhone or within uh, iTunes on your uh, your PC or Mac. All right. Thanks, everyone. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.